Here we go. It's Open Mic Friday on Law and Gospel on this September the 24th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And without further ado, let's go to our emails. Pastor Baker, I often listen to Law and Gospel through the internet. I told my kids last week that God uses tragedy to draw us closer to him, as you have said many times. Both of my kids are past confirmation. One of my sons said, but dad, only word and sacraments can increase faith. I got to thinking, by drawing us closer to himself, are you referring to increased faith? Let me know if I am off in my thinking here. Yours in Christ, and this is from Florida. Well, yes, I said a number of times that God uses tragedy to draw us closer to him, but your child is also correct that only word and sacraments can increase faith. Well, how do we appear to connect these two? Uh, let me use a simple analogy. Uh, a little child, maybe two years old, is in bed one night, and it begins to thunder and rain. And he calls out to mom and dad because the thunder is scaring him. In fact, I had a relative that when it was thundering, she would go into a closet and close the door. At any rate, the parents come rushing in, and the child is comforted. That child increases its love toward his parents because they are comforting him. That's how tragedy draws us closer to Jesus. Because when we go through tragedy, we need to be comforted. What comforts us? Let's take, let's take the tragedy of a child who dies. You're at the funeral. What comforts you? It's the words that the pastor uses in the sermon to give sure hope that because the child has been baptized, you will see him in heaven. That's how word and sacraments can increase faith, by being used to comfort. If you have a life where nothing ever goes wrong, it's going to be difficult for you to sin as it was for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But we have a life where our passions lead us to sin, where our thoughts lead us to sin. We say words which we wish we never have said. And that's a tragedy. When we weep and repent over that, we hear the absolution. And so such tragedies draw us closer to God, not because of the tragedy, 
but because of the comfort that is given to us with the tragedy. So that's how I would answer that question. Next email. Dear Pastor Baker, a couple of weeks ago you commented on your show that if anyone begins to answer, how do you know you'll go to heaven with because I, alarm bells immediately begin to sound. And what the email is writing about is because some people say, well, because I go to church, because I brought my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, because I pray often. Yeah, bells go off because people are using their works to give an account as to why they're going to heaven. And that is dead wrong. Going back to the email. The only way that because I would work is if he or she says, because I was born again in Christ at my baptism, or because I heard the gospel and was brought to faith by the Holy Spirit. Just about anything else is wrong. I am happy to say that in my struggles with this article, I came to exactly the same conclusion. So, I never would conclude a presentation of law and gospel with the admonition to open the gift and pollute the definition of faith with connecting it so clearly with a willful action on my part. What do you think? I have the honor to be your obedient servant in Christ, and then he gives his name. Well, that's some real insight there. That, yes, it is possible to say you're going to heaven because I, if you're talking about what happened in your baptism or how you were brought to faith by the Holy Spirit by reading Scripture, but if I concludes with some work that you think you have done, then that would be wrong. It's not that works don't occur. In fact, they're not even called good works. They're called fruit of the Holy Spirit. But they are not the reason you're going to heaven. They're instead the evidence that you have proper faith, which God sees and therefore is very, very important because it indicates that you trust, have faith in the words of Holy Scripture. All right, next email. I had visited a church in Ohio. I want to thank you for coming. I greatly appreciated your message and teachings. There were two reactions to your visit I thought you might want to hear. One of the confirmation students was angry that her parents were not able to bring her back to the evening session because of a previous commitment. She really enjoyed your presentation. Also, I had one of my Sunday school teachers say to me after the presentation that teaching gospel is difficult. 
I'm going to go back over what I have been doing as a pastor and examine if I am presenting the gospel. I will certainly be doing it from now on. Your presentation also to the Sunday school teachers was very helpful. Yes, I am only too happy, time permitting, to visit churches. A lot of times it can't be on a Sunday because I'm already assigned churches as an interim pastor, but it often can be on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, or a Friday night, or a Saturday night. And I'm willing to come in to talk to a group. Just email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. And I could assure you that you will be hearing what many lay people may not have understood. You see, every pastor does have gifts. That's why I like listening to other pastors because they have gifts of teaching in ways that I find interesting and I might duplicate. Well, my area is law and gospel and I enjoy teaching that and give many examples from the scripture as to what it's talking about. All right, next email. Good day, Pastor Baker. I wanted to thank you for your work on KFUO. I have for the first time visited a Lutheran church in our area. Unfortunately, these past few days I have been ill with bronchitis, but I'm happy to say I am on the mend. The pastor at the church I visited let me Luther's small catechism and the Book of Concord. I have been reading these in earnest. I asked him to borrow some more books for study, and he sure gave me some incredible reading in the books. I am waiting for him to begin the Bible study class, to which I shall attend, of course. I am very pleased to have begun my study in the Lutheran faith and find myself very excited about it all. I have a question, though, as I am new to the faith. So I actually have many questions all the time. But the question I have is, when we pass, and then in parenthesis is the word die, is the soul immediately moved along to our judgment, or do we stay buried? Are we immediately transformed, or do we wait until the second coming? Sorry, it is just because since I started reading the Bible more and the other books, well, my mind begins to race on it. Again, thanks for all you do. I shall be emailing you from time to time also about some historical aspects, and I look forward to your answers. Again, thanks to you and KFUO. Okay, let's answer the question as to do we stay in the grave or do we go right to heaven? And the answer is yes. Well, how can that be? 
if we stay in the grave, how are we in heaven? Well, let's take a look at Jesus' life when he died. Remember what he said to the Father? Father, into thy hands I commend myself. What was he talking about? Jesus was a human being. And so he died in the same way all human beings who are believers die. Though their body goes into the grave, their spirit goes to heaven. And then it is on judgment day that the body is taken from the grave and rejoined with the spirit in heaven. The proof of that is what Jesus said to the thief on the cross when one of the thieves said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. That's on Friday. So on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of the body of Jesus. And Paul makes very clear in 1 Corinthians 15, if that Jesus' body had not risen from the dead, we would all still be in our sins. That's why the resurrection is so, so important. And therefore, you have Bible verses where it talks about those who are sleeping in the dust will awake. That's referring to their bodies. And they will be awakened on the day of judgment. And that day of judgment is going to be a time when they will receive much, much joy because they will be in heaven in both the body and the spirit with Jesus forever and ever. Okay, next email. Hi, Pastor Baker. Recently, my pastor said in a sermon, for we all have been baptized into the kingdom of God. I do not remember, nor can I find any scripture stating explicitly that we are baptized into his kingdom. It's always been my belief that we are baptized into the body of Christ, his church. Paul says, for we are baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we are all given one spirit. How can we be baptized into the kingdom of God since this person does not designate, I'm sorry, since this term does not designate persons? Well, let me interrupt the email at this point and indicate that the kingdom of God can have a number of meanings. First of all, you have Old Testament believers who become part of the kingdom of God. Then in the New Testament, under the new covenant, the church is established. We talk about Pentecost being the birth of the Christian church. And that also is referred to as the kingdom of God. When a person dies, he goes into what we call the interim. 
That's the time when his body is in the ground, but his spirit is with Jesus awaiting the day of judgment. That's called the interim. That's also being a part of the kingdom of God. And then the kingdom of God occurs on the day of judgment when the bodies are restored to the spirits. The kingdom of God, therefore, does refer to individuals who are members of the Holy Christian Church here on earth. Those terms are used interchangeably. Getting back to the email then, after giving much thought and studying God's word, I came to the conclusion that the church, including myself, may not clearly understand what the term kingdom of God truly means. No doubt. The real problem lies with my interpretation of scripture. I am sure if I knew the Greek language, I would have a much thorough understanding of the term. I strongly feel this would make an excellent subject for Bible study. What do you think? Well, I'll answer that. I think it certainly would be. In fact, I'm talking to a brand new pastor in a congregation, talked with him last night on the phone while I was returning from a congregation I serve. It was about an hour conversation, and he's really excited about the Bible study he's teaching because people are hearing things that appear to be brand new to them, along with the distinctions between law and gospel. The one Bible study he had was the distinction between objective and subjective justification. And it was as though many in the Bible study had not recognized that wonderful distinction, and they were really happy when they heard of it. So getting back to the email, having studied Luther's small catechism and Dr. Kohler's book titled A Summary of Christian Doctrine, the following is my understanding of the meaning of the term kingdom of God. In our baptism and through faith in Christ, Luther says the kingdom of God comes to us when our heavenly father gives us his Holy Spirit so that by his grace, we believe his holy word and lead a godly life here in time and hereafter in eternity. So the question I have, this is the email writer, which is doctrinally correct to say, baptized into his kingdom or baptized into his body? In reading scriptures, how do I know God sometimes referred to his kingdom as his church here on earth? In referring to his kingdom, does God refer to his triumphant church in heaven and or militant church on earth? Or are they one? And if so, how does scripture talk about this? Well, if you go to Thessalonians, you'll hear how on the day of judgment, 
we are taken from the Holy Christian Church on earth and transferred to the kingdom of God in heaven. There are many passages. Jesus talks about bringing in the kingdom of God to his people. And how does he do that? Well, back to the email writer. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which kingdom is he referring to? Well, when do we repent? We never have a worship service with the Lord's Supper without a confession of sin and the absolution. Now, the absolution forgives our sins. What do we do then? We then enter the kingdom of God by receiving the very body and blood of Jesus Christ in his mouth. What does Jesus mean, back to the letter writer, when he says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's Mark 10, verse 15. Could I read this to say, one must have the faith of little children and be baptized to receive and enter the kingdom of God. Is he referring to his kingdom as the church? Well, remember, Jesus talks to a teacher of the church and indicates that he must be reborn. Now, this teacher of the church, how can I get back in my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, by water and the word. In other words, this is the way that God has made it even for little children to enter the kingdom of God. You ask any mother and she will tell you that soon after the child is born, the child does trust her. The child therefore has faith. And if a little baby can have that faith soon after it's born, God has no problem in giving that faith to the little child through baptism, faith in Jesus Christ. We, we've seen that through our grandchildren, that not long after they begin to talk, they have no problem before a meal thanking Jesus for their food. In fact, that was a prayer we often use. Thank you, Jesus, for this food. Now, they don't know that much about Jesus. They don't know about the Trinity. They may not know a lot of the history of the Bible or even of Jesus, but they recognize through their parents that Jesus is God and that he is the one who gave them that food. Therefore, the email writer asks, Pastor, does God through his given, through his kingdom, pour out blessings and tender mercies upon his church? Appreciate your reply, your friend in Christ, and then it's signed. Yes, God through his kingdom pours out blessing and tender mercies. 
Just listen to the Lord's Prayer. Remember the things it says in it. Give us this day our daily bread. And the word bread, as Luther points out, refers to all the things that we need in this life, including family, friends, good government, good weather, and yes, even food. Because Jesus is the bread of life. And therefore, the Lord's Prayer also says, forgive us our trespasses, and God forgives you your trespasses, your sins. And there's different words in the Greek and the Hebrew for sins. It can be trespasses. That means you go into an area you're not supposed to go into. It can refer to debts that you now owe God your life because you have sinned. Or it can also just mean doing wrong things against the commandments by thought, word, or deed. Jesus, on the cross, forgave all of them. As he says to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And therefore, in that forgiveness, we have the greatest good news that the world has ever heard. No other religion even comes close to the idea that God takes upon himself our sins, that God pays for our sins and gives us the reward, which is the forgiveness of sins. If you would like to ask me a question, don't hesitate to email me at lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. And listen carefully after the close of the program as to how you can send a donation tax-free for Law and Gospel so we are able to remain on KFUO. I'm Tom Baker, looking forward to Monday's lesson where we will take a look at one of the readings for the following Sunday and examine it from a law and gospel point of view. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.